0: Friends, today's guests introduced their new children's book. It got me thinking of my own fond memories of books I read when I was a child. Classic titles like Ribsy and Amelia Bedelia. I have to say, when I was a kid, anytime time it was story or circle time or whatever it was in the 70s, I was beside myself, like I was about to see The Beatles live in concert when my teacher would pull out an Amelia Bedelia book. And as an adult, wonder now if that informed, I mean, it must have informed some part of my sense of humor, or if just that was already in me, and then this book spoke to me. But either way, I cannot recommend Amelia Bedelia enough. I just thought I would share that with you. What is your favorite children's book? I would love to know. And I'd also love to know if Amelia Bedelia or Ribsy was your favorite. Who knows? Maybe I'll add your favorite book to Max and Finn's library. Let me know at don'asktig.org or call 833-275-8444. That's 833-ASK-TIG-4. And drop me a voicemail. Also, I'm still touring Come see me live and on stage. September 15th in Torrington, Connecticut. September 16th, Rochester, New York. September 17th, Wilmington, Delaware. September 25th, Colorado Springs. September 28th, Breckenridge, Colorado. October 28th, La Crosse, Wisconsin. Also, the rest of October, I'm basically going to be on a full-blown European tour. So go to my website for tickets and show information. And finally, Brooklyn, November 4th, for my next stand-up special taping. Hope to see you there. Again, Tignotaro.com for all show links and ticket information. Now, let's start the show. Let me adjust my hairdo.
1: Even though it's not on the camera, you're going to adjust your hairdo?
0: Well, you know.
1: You are so wrapped up in your image. In looks. You've always been this way. I know. And now I see it's gotten worse. It really has. You're on a podcast. No one can see you.
0: Nobody can see me. Nobody wants to see me. And here I am just making sure I look hot and sexy all the time.
1: You never wear a dress. And here you are dressed up.
0: Yeah, I'm wearing a dress today.
1: And your top hat?
0: And my top hat. And
1: what is this Chanel? Who's dressed you today? (laughs) My three cats.
0: This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro. And if I ever make a spinoff of this podcast, I'll call it Better Not Call Tig. I'm joined today by two guests. The first is an award-winning writer, comedian, and actor you've seen in shows like Lucky Hank, HBO's Mr. Show, and of course, in the titular role of Saul Goodman in the Breaking Bad spinoff, Better Call Saul. I'm joined also by his daughter, an artist, illustrator, and Pratt Institute graduate. Together, they co-created a book of poetry for children titled Zillet and Other Important Rhymes. Bob Odenkirk and Aaron Odenkirk, welcome to Don't Ask Tig.
1: Hey, great to see you, Tig. Usually I see you backstage at a comedy club.
0: I know. And now, podcasting at 8 a.m., Aaron, how are you doing?
1: Hello, I'm well. How are
0: you? Doing well. I feel like if I've met you, Aaron, it was a long time ago because, yeah, I met shows with your father and mother. I feel like she's always kind of lurking around being a manager, being a bigwig and stuff.
2: That's a good way to put it. She lurks. She lurks. If I've met you, it was a long time ago because
1: I don't recall.
0: Tell me about this book that you two put together. How did this come about?
1: So here's what happened, Tig. When the kids were little, right from the start, I I love books. I love reading. And we would read to them. I would read to them even from like two months old. Mm -hmm. Yep. And in the course of doing that for years, I wanted them to think, I can write too. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, when we're reading the book, finish a book and like twice a week, take out a piece of paper and we'll write a poem. And I would literally write down... Like, I'd have my own ideas, of course. Sure. But then sometimes I'd say, what happened to you today? Or you skinned your knee. Or we went to this store today. Or you ate too much dessert. Or let's write about that. I would write a line. They would write a line. Then we'd talk about it and we'd finish it up. And they were very nonsensical, these poems. (laughs) Like, not even words that make sense together. (laughs) But look, over the course of four years, we probably wrote 80 of these things. Wow. And I kept them in this little notebook. And I put it on a shelf because I figured, I knew that some of them were pretty good. Like there were like three or four that were great. And then there were like Mm -hmm. 10 or 12 that were like, that's a good idea for a kid's poem. I always thought I'd rewrite these when I was a grandpa. Yeah. And maybe see if I can make a book out of it. And then COVID hit and Erin had been doing artwork her whole life. Mm -hmm. And the kids were, their lives were so sad, as were all of ours. Aaron was 19, Nate was 21, and they had no social life. So I just tried to fill their lives with some projects. And one of them was, let's rewrite these poems and Aaron do the illustrations.
0: And the art is incredible.
1: Well,
2: thank you.
0: I love that style. What would you say that style of,
2: is there a name of? If there is a name, I have yet to learn it or come up with it, but I can tell you I was very inspired Uh by plenty of people. Shel Silverstein, number one, Dr. Seuss, number two, you might see some Dr. Seuss in the color palette, Uh sort of like 70s rainbow, but calmer. Uh And then also I was big into Calvin and Hobbes Uh and big into Peanuts and the Mutts. Okay. And so sort of that like Sunday morning cartoon strip style. Yeah blended maybe with some of the creepiness and intensity of shell and the bright fun susian. Seuss, you're so talented. Oh, that means a lot. Thanks. And as much as
0: I enjoyed the poetry, I was so captivated by your artwork. It was so exciting. That was kind of a secret dream of mine to be an illustrator. Is that the trajectory that you're on or hoping to be on or
2: I I don't know. I'm I'm open to anything anyone has to offer. Yeah, I really enjoyed the process of making this book. I didn't know if I would, but Mm -hmm. I did. And I think I got better throughout doing it. I mean, I started it when I was 19 and I'm 22 now. And when you go back to those original drafts, you can see how different and how much better and in my own process, how much more confident I got. Uh Uh-huh.
0: When did you know Aaron's really... A gosh darn talent in this arena.
1: Take this was a, I'm going to just speaking to you as a fellow parent. Okay. This was a very risky endeavor. Okay. If we had done this and she had been not very good or not good enough and nobody bought it, yeah, then she might have been more depressed and more dissuaded from trying to be an artist or doing anything in this area for the rest of her life. We did 40 poems, and we sent them out to publishers, and they said no." Mm-hmm. That was the first thing was a "no" from everybody. One person said, "We'll do it, but you have to make it more confrontational, abrasive, louder, mm-hmm. And not so sweet, you know, not so mm-hmm. bedtimey. And I don't know how Aaron felt at that moment, because that was a hard moment. That was a moment to either quit on the project and maybe feel like she'd failed.
2: How'd you feel, Aaron? It didn't hurt my feelings that bad. It made a lot of sense to me. And I think the reason it didn't is because all the confidence I needed came initially when you asked me to do it with you. You wanting to work with me, both as my father and as a writer that I respect and a comedian that I respect, even if no one ever bought this book, like getting to do that with you was enough permission for myself to try it you know you're looking for people to want you around and want to believe in you and it meant a lot meant enough and so it made sense that they didn't buy it the first round to me I kind of figured no one would ever buy it and I kind of knew that it was special and it was special to us but I didn't know if I could trust anyone else to see that you know even after that first round of illustration I didn't know if I was good enough or if it was good enough
0: well I'm here to tell you for sure you are oh thank you now, this is my first parent and child duo on my podcast, and since it's an advice show, I'm curious, Aaron, what's the best advice your dad has ever given you?
2: Boy, oh boy. I mean, to get real serious, he gave me a lot of dumb advice, a lot of silly advice.
0: I'll take anything.
2: The first thing that comes to my mind is my first year in New York was really hard for me. mm mm-hmm. I had just moved here for school and I was kind of making friends, kind of not. It's a big city. I just felt really lonely. And I remember getting dinner with my dad. I started to tell him more about this and I got pretty sad. wasn't really advice, but he just kind of was like, I know what you're feeling. I've been there. I've felt that. Mm -hmm. The way a friend might say, I've been through what you're going through. And I'm sorry. And it's hard. And that at the time meant a lot to me just to know that someone who I saw as big and okay and adult, yeah. had had this experience.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's really those moments of feeling, uh, just being uh, validated in what you're experiencing is all you really need.
1: Yeah. I also think the kids know you as you, and you're established in this character in the world. Yes. And you're so sure of yourself, it seems. To them. Yes. And it's hard to express. I sent Nate, my son, a little video I made when I was in Ireland. I was thinking about him a lot as I was hiking around. He wants to be a comedy writer, and I know he wants to work at Saturday Night Live or a big show like that. And I got a job when I was 25 at SNL. And I've talked to the kids and I've shared with people that I was unsure of myself. It was hard, it was existentially dangerous. Mm-hmm. I had feelings of I I should erase myself. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I the kids don't believe. They, it's like they don't hear you. They don't. I think they look at you probably and go, Oh yeah, I know you say you were unsure yourself, but you're clearly so sure of yourself as a comedy writer and a comic presence. After all of that success that you've had, and and I I, I made a little video where I said, No, listen to me. I was too young when I got hired at SNL. That was not a mm. good thing. Yeah. That could have gone wrong. That could have gone so wrong. It came yeah. this close so many times to going so wrong. you got to believe me. Yeah. And it's hard for kids to believe you when you say, I had no f-ing clue what I was doing, and I was scared out of my f-ing wits for years.
0: Yeah. As a comedian touring around, people are like, oh, you wouldn't understand. I do these terrible gigs. And I'm like, do you think I just did an open mic once and then I walked into a sold-out theater? It This is decades of joy and hell, but decades of so much work and so much horror and terror and bad days and insecurity, all of those things. And I'm hoping that was helpful to Nate.
1: Well, I hope so, too. I mean, you really have to. It's a thing you really will want to do, especially when your kids are in their teens and in their mm-hmm. early 20s, because you are you, Tig, and you have books out and you're in TV shows that you created. And you're just such an established voice and you really have a genuine confidence because also you can't go through your whole life going, "Am my good?" am I any good? Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. just dumb. We know people like that. And you're like, well, calm down. Mm-hmm. No one believes yeah. you when you say you're not <laughs> sure if you're an actor. No one believes you. If that's true, then you need help. Therapy, for mm-hmm. sure. But, you know, you at some point you have to go like, well, sometimes I'm a better actor. Sometimes I'm a worse actor, but I can act. I mean, I can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it takes so long to get there. Mm-hmm. And I think, These years where Aaron is now, where my son is now, those are the years that you just so wish they could really believe you.
0: (laughs) Do you believe him, Aaron? I'm starting to, yeah. (laughs) It's coming along. (laughs) And do you have any advice
2: now for your dad? Oh, loads. Yeah. Um, I feel like he's at an age that is in some ways his second teenage years. I think when you're be when you a teenager, you're learning how to be sure of yourself and you're learning who you are mm-hmm. and what to do with that. And then you kind of fall into a routine and a rhythm and you do that for 20, 30 years. And then you wake up on the other side of it and maybe your kids are grown up or maybe you retire or maybe you move. You know, some big life change happens. Mm-hmm. Or you have a heart attack. Or you have a heart <laughs> attack. I mean, that's the one he picked. I don't know why. How dare you? A little bit dramatic, but. See, something happens that sort of resets you Mm -hmm. back to that elemental phase of being like, ah, where am I? What do I do? And honestly, it's been making me smile. (laughs) Like when he calls me and he tells me about, you know, what he thought about today or what he's struggling with today or just being very genuine and open with me. It makes me happy because I know that on the other end of it is a happy, assured version of himself that is the new version of himself. It's the 60s version of himself. Yeah. And maybe that version gets to have a little more fun in life. And so I guess my advice would be to enjoy the discomfort or enjoy what comes after the discomfort. You know, look forward to that.
0: I love it.
1: She's not wrong. I mean, I'm at a juncture and have been for two years, and and it really did start with a heart attack. I mean, but what happened was I had my memory went away every morning. Uh So I didn't remember what I had done or talked to, who I talked to the week before or anywhere back to the heart attack. And and then sort of very slowly, it kind of started to accumulate and connect and and stick. Uh But I knew from that incident that I needed to rethink how I was moving forward, that it really was simply... Hey, you're going to die. I mean, you're going to die one day and you're closer to death than you are to (laughs) being born. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're a lot closer. Yeah. And, you know, people see the world through their eyes and they occasionally step in front of a mirror and are, you know, brutally honest with themselves. But mostly they kind of see the, I mean, I'm sort of 14 years old my whole life. I'm, I'm stuck at the age of 14. I still love The Replacements. Same. I still have a great, warm feeling towards the book On the Road by Jack Kerouac. I'll Never Stop Loving Catcher in the Rye. I'm just stuck there. But the heart attack was God or the universe screaming, well, you're not 14. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, you look good, Bob.
1: That's nice of you.
0: I have to say, you look good. Thank you. A 14-year-old with some some gray hair, but you look good. <laughs> now, as you know, we here at Don't Ask Tig are tasked with giving advice to listeners. Are you ready to take some questions? Yeah. Yes. This first question revolves around parenting and comedy. Thea writes... In my household, we value laughing and joking around as one of the greatest pleasures in life. We have a smart, loving, hilarious third grader who has taken this family value to heart. We try to limit our joking with her to puns and silliness so she doesn't offend when she takes her show on the road. The problem is that my spouse and I can't help but slip in sarcasm and light ribbing when joking with each other. She's picked some of that up, and it makes us laugh, but she's still learning, and her sarcasm doesn't always land kindly with her fellow eight-year-olds or teachers. How can I encourage her to freely experiment with humor while teaching her to use wisecracking with kindness?
1: Oy! Mm. That's a hair to split right there. That's a tough one. That's a line to ride. I remember the first time I became aware of sarcasm and how funny it was. And I was was nine years old. I mean, this is a very Mm -hmm. distinctive memory I have, Tig. Wow. Uh, My dad was taking us, and he didn't do much with us. I didn't see my dad all that much in my life. But he took us to a Cougars game, which was a World Hockey League team There was a a short time where there was a a separate hockey league from the NHL called the World Hockey League. And Chicago had a team called the Cougars. I don't know if it was two or three years. And we were going to the stadium, which was in a challenged part of Chicago, driving down some pretty rough streets. And uh, he couldn't find the stadium. He didn't know where it was or he didn't have a good map. And he pulled over and he said, roll down the window. And he called to some guy out there. Hey, buddy, buddy. Hey, where's the stadium? Where is it from here? And the guy like made some nonsensical explanation. Mm -hmm. And I knew that didn't make any sense what that guy said. And then my dad goes, that's great. Thank you so much. Thanks for your help, buddy. (laughs) And he drove away. And I (laughs) laughed so hard. (laughs) And I thought that guy did not help us at all. (laughs) That was so funny. (laughs) I think you have to be older. Uh The only thing I can compare it to is in and in the book, I sometimes, we use big words, right? Uh There's a poem called Zealot, which is about building a zealot, which is a blanket fort. And it ends with the line, don't get rambunctious, don't clutter or overfill it. Be cool and mellow and you won't compromise the integrity of the zealot. And- I used to say that line to my kids. My son invented the word zillet, and I'd say like, careful guys, you're going to compromise the integrity of the zillet." And then I would say, you're going to knock it over. Uh And in other words, I would use this big adult construction and then I would immediately interpret it. Yeah. So, you know, two, three years from now, they're not going to have a problem. But just always interpret it, you know, without making it too much of a, pedantic lesson. See if you could say, thanks, honey. I really appreciate that you warmed up the dinner two hours ago. It's really (laughs) cold now.
2: I feel like that's going to exasperate the issue of a third grader being a little bit spicy to their
1: friends and teachers. Uh But the thing is, the kids, the other kids don't. This is a real problem this person has.
0: (laughs) Well, that's why the show's called Don't Ask Tig. I mean, what are you doing coming to us for answers?
2: I'd say let it fly. Uh Uh-huh. I was thinking earlier today about how much I wish I had understood that between the ages of zero and 13, Mm -hmm. basically anything I did that was wrong was okay. Yeah. And that getting in trouble is actually not the worst thing ever. Yeah. You're not a bad person if you get in trouble. Because I was pretty convinced that if I did one little... One little mess up, and I was—that was it. I was bad. I think let them let the freak flag fly, make fun of your friends, see how it feels, learn from the feeling. I'm all for it. That was kind of where I was leaning,
0: but I—I I also appreciate what Bob is saying of giving an explanation and some background or mm-hmm. something on the the topic or joke to give an understanding, but also they're gonna figure it out. They're gonna figure it out. Yeah, I mean, we're all about ribbing and joking and teasing and inappropriateness in our house, and uh, <laughs> I hope, I hope it all goes okay for everybody. Thea, I, I know sometimes I sound sarcastic even when I'm not trying to be, but uh, good luck. All right, Aaron and Bob, more listener questions after we take a short. Break.
2: At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Line takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Line wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And we're back. Aaron and Bob, this next listener has a parking problem. Kendra writes, I started a tiny vegan specialty store a year ago. My store has one parking space assigned out of 45 spots. The spot has a sign saying parking for my store only, but people park there all the time, sometimes for hours. I can call the tow truck, but it sort of bothers me that people will have to pay hundreds of dollars. So I end up leaving passive-aggressive notes. I don't really like being mad, but I really need this space for customers and staff. Is there any alternative to just having people towed? I
2: have an answer. Okay. Oh, my gosh. This is coming from a uh, a pescatarian post-vegan. I've been there. Paint I Am Vegan on the parking spot. See who parks there. Ah. Customers. Yes. The people that are
0: very anti-vegan, when they pull in, they're not going to want to be associated with that, right? Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, there's so much stigma. I mean, again, ex-vegan, I love vegan. I would park there in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. But you put a little sign up, you put a little notice. Vegan parking only. Come join us.
1: Yeah, I like that. That's a great suggestion. I My suggestion is write up a note that isn't passive-aggressive, that is plain-spoken and straightforward, that you can put on the cars as well as Aaron's sign idea mm-hmm. and put it on the car every single time. Like print it up in bulk. Yeah, Because not doing anything specific is going to make you feel ineffectual. But passive aggressive is annoying to me. Just say this spot was needed by my store. I only get one. You've deprived me of business today please don't do it again.
0: I'm all for that. I think straightforward is the way to go. Always. It's not always easy, but I say a straightforward note is a perfect idea. I also think we could make an even bigger sign rather than I'm vegan and make it very straightforward. If you are parking in this spot, please be an employee or a customer of this store if you are not and then really point out some terrible characteristics of a person <clears> that is ignoring that and parking that is not passive aggressive that is aggressive that is straightforward you can put it on the note as well as on the building is is my feeling that way if you're if you're pulling your car in and you're parking and you're just being a jerk about it that sign is going to tell everybody the person that gets out of this car is being a jerk if they do not go into this store so please keep an eye on this yeah public shaming yeah public shaming that's uh it's not passive aggressive
1: yeah yeah
0: or you could just go back to the previous question and just write a sarcastic note <laughs> On the wall or or tag their car with it. I think we've solved this as much as we can possibly solve
1: it. Yeah, I think this is good. I think we got some good solutions here.
0: All right, Kendra, thanks for writing in. Hope that advice helped. We're gonna take a quick break to answer a question that came in our therapy etiquette inbox. This segment is where we answer those awkward questions we all have as people getting the professional help we need and deserve and is sponsored by BetterHelp. Today's question was sent from Jessica in Liverpool. "'Hi Tig, I have been recommended therapy by my doctor "'and I'm having trouble making a start on my road "'to achieving a healthier mind.' I suffer from anxiety and depression, and the thought of therapy makes me anxious. Therefore, I have not started yet. Also, I know myself, and I know that as soon as a therapist asks me a question, my mind will go blank, and I won't have a response. And every time I speak to my doctor, he is like, have you contacted them yet? And I keep having to say no. Then the thought of all that makes me anxious, et cetera, et cetera. How do you think I could break free of this therapy anxiety-related circle? Jessica, I totally get where you're coming from. I feel like anxiety almost always plays out like a loop. First, you feel anxious. Then you have an emotional reaction to your own anxiety. I mean, you're not alone in feeling that way. It's also completely okay to feel anxious about starting therapy, especially when you're dealing with anxiety and depression already. But remember, therapy is a tool to help you, and it's designed to work at your pace. So maybe take just a small step at first. You don't have to dive headfirst into a full session. What about writing down your thoughts? It might be easier to express yourself on paper. You can jot down how you're feeling, what's been bothering you, or even your worries about starting therapy. That could be a really good first session. Also, I don't really worry about your mind going blank because everyone's mind goes blank every once in a while. Therapists are, they're skilled at gently guiding conversations, so you won't be left hanging. Plus, your therapist is there to help you untangle your thoughts, not to judge you. Also, if you're comfortable, you could share your therapy journey with a friend or a loved one. Sometimes having someone familiar to talk to about it can ease the anxiety. The most important thing is to be patient with yourself. It's okay if it takes time to get started, because truly, your doctor and potential therapists are there to support you. We're rooting for you, Jessica. As always, thank you to our therapy etiquette sponsor, BetterHelp. If you have any questions about the unspoken rules of therapy etiquette, share them with us by calling 833 275 8444 or visiting slash contact. And now, back to the show. Bob and Aaron, this next question was sent in by Martha in Brooklyn. Martha writes, I've been dealing with some health challenges, and my doctor referred me to a specialist to discuss the prospect of an experimental but potentially effective treatment. I was excited at first, but in researching this other doctor, I found they have a lot of social and political views that don't align with my own. The more I read, the more unprofessional their social media presence seems. I'm torn. I'm very turned off by what I've seen. But on the other hand, if they could help me, does that matter? Then again, can I trust a doctor who seems to spend a lot of their time yelling on what was formerly known as Twitter? Please help.
1: Um, Yeah, you got to be careful. This is not unlike, do you trust the art? or the artist, (laughs) you know, in this case, he's a doctor. He may be very good at Mm -hmm. being a doctor. And then as a person, he's a crank. Yeah, But that doesn't mean he's not a great doctor. You know, I, I do think we have to separate those things. I'm going to tell you something very personal and true. My doctor was a conservative. He got crankier and crankier the older he got. When I was 50, I went in. He was a heart doctor, Cedar sinai And he had signs up all around his office at this point. We do not accept Obamacare. And I hated this side of him that I only learned over time. Mm -hmm. So I'd been with him for 20 years. And he said, you need to start taking statins right now. And I said, well, I don't know. I don't have heart disease in my family. He goes, just take them. And I didn't listen to him. Mm -hmm. And I went to another doctor. And I had more thorough research done on my heart. And the other doctor said, you don't need medicine yet. And I had a heart attack. And I think the first doctor was right. Mm -hmm. The cranky conservative jack was right because he was a god good doctor.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: His political point of view doesn't have anything to do with his ability to judge your health and your health choices and needs. And I've always felt that way about art, too. If somebody makes a great movie and then they have a really horrible personal behavioral choice Mm -hmm. that we all learn about, the movie can still be a great movie.
0: It can still be a great movie. I feel like it still taints it for me. But as far as health goes, I would be more willing to put things aside to save my life. It is my feeling. It wouldn't be my number one choice to go to somebody that had really differing views. But also, that's what's so crazy about social media and the internet is the fact that you can find out this information, whereas before you would never have known what your doctor was up to or feeling or voting or whatever. So I've had my own health issues and I... I whether I'm with somebody with very opposing political views or getting to a point where I'm trying, you know, <laughs> with stuff that would be considered wackadoo, I'm on both ends of like, I just want to feel good. I want to be healthy. I don't want to be in pain. I want to be alive. I want to be with my wife and children. And that's where I am with health issues. But I, I hear you on the art thing i just personally it it taints things a bit for me
1: yeah but don't and don't forget that the art that you love made by somebody who's done wonderful you know who's a wonderful person Mm -hmm. you don't actually know if they're a wonderful person
0: of course People live together for years and and you learn new things about each other as time goes on. You know, you think, oh, we've been together for two years or married for 10 or 40, but then new obstacles and trials and tribulations come along and you're surprised by how somebody reacts to something or you don't even know it about yourself. There's always that lesson. That's popping up with the twists and turns of life. And I, I hear that. It's just that when I do know very clearly that this person did this horrendous thing,
1: right? Right.
0: I, for sure, it's hard for me to fully pull back and, and not.
1: Yeah, it's hard to unsee something. Yeah. Is, is part yeah, of it. Yeah,
0: it's really hard.
1: But I would say, when it comes to doctor, Go off the reputation this person has. Go off as a doctor. Mm -hmm. That's what I would pitch. Yes,
0: especially if you don't have a lot of other options. If you have a lot of other options and it seems that there's a, a great doctor that lines up, as far as you can tell, with your political or social ideas, then go there. But if this is the one that can save your life, I'd go for it. Martha, that is our diagnosis. We hope you find the right or left doctor for you. Okay, Bob and Erin, the show is almost over. We have one last segment I need your help with. The Don't Ask Tig Confession Booth. Welcome. To the confession booth. The Don't Ask Tig confession booth features listeners sharing secrets they've never told anyone in order for us to give them the advice they're afraid to ask for. Today's confession was sent in by Coleman. Coleman writes I decided to try my hand at growing tomatillos. I planted many seeds, but only one plant grew. It's producing flowers, but no fruit. Then I learned that tomatillo plants are sterile and I need another plant to actually get fruit. I searched, but no local nurseries carry any. There's a community garden across from my home that has many tomatillo plants, at least 15 to 20. The garden is fully fenced in and the gate is locked when no one is there. One night at dusk, I saw the gate was unlocked. I quickly walked in, dug a small flowering plant up with my fingers and planted the small plant next to mine in hopes that someday soon I will have tomatillos on my plant. I need to restore my karma. I didn't need to steal. I am ashamed. What? <laughs> what does Coleman do? I can feel the sincerity of I didn't need to steal. I am ashamed. So
1: funny. Okay, <laughs> look, here's what you need to do, okay? Mm. First of all, when the tomatillos show up, uh-huh. every time you eat them, if you're eating with someone, you have to say, you know you're eating stolen tomatillos, right?
0: <laughs> you have to confess every time.
1: <laughs> every time. Yeah. Yeah. When you say your grace before your meal, as I hope we all do, you say, thank you, God, for these stolen tomatillos. (laughs) Let's refer to them as stolen tomatillos forever. Uh I have more. You have to write a note, not passive aggressive. No. We've established that. And go to the garden and plant it in the garden. An apology from the universe. (laughs) Yeah. Saying, in the middle of the night, when no one was looking, a crook, a robber, a thief, me, me, stole, stole <laughs> your tiny tomatillo plant. This is from an author,
0: stole. Please forgive
1: <laughs> myself. And may you live long and have many tomatillos in your life.
0: Now, can't they? I'm all, uh, yes, 1 million percent. Can't they trace that note and get, catch you? No, that's not what I was going to ask. <laughs> but Coleman, Can't you create another plant from the two plants that you have and then go replant that Mm -hmm. with the note? And that would be even more special because instead of just leaving them high and dry tomatillos how great to apologize, Mm
1: -hmm. leave the note,
0: but also, yeah, replenish your thievery.
1: The point is, if Coleman did it right, stole it Mm -hmm. properly, then he will be bringing more tomatillos into this world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the ends sort of justify the means a little bit here, if it works out.
2: I concur. Well,
0: since this is the confession booth, what sort of penance should we assign Coleman?
1: Oh, he never gets to eat any of the tomatillos (laughs) that he grows. No. He can only feed them to (laughs) guests. Uh, here's my salad, and these I grew myself, and these are stolen tomatillos, and aren't you going to have any? Oh, no, I, I'm i not allowed. I stole these.
0: <laughs> All right, Coleman, to make amends for your sin, you must never have any of your tomatillos. Aaron and Bob, this has been an absolute delight. Thank you for joining me on Don't Ask Tig. Bob, I'm always excited for you. I mean, it's truly so fun to see everything that happens with you. And Aaron! what a fun discovery that Bob has this outrageously talented child. Congrats on everything. And I really am truly excited for you. And I, th- I really think your art is incredible. Thank you, Tig. I love cartoons and I love art. I'm just excited for you.
2: Well, I believe you, and that means a lot, so thank you.
0: Well, thanks for believing me. Do you have anything that you would like to promote aside from the book that you can promote at a time where it's hard to promote things? Either of you?
1: I don't think I have a thing. I'm taking a break from everything, uh, Dick. Okay. And uh, so nothing right now, and uh, just the strike. Let's keep striking and get things right, then we can all go back to work.
2: Yeah, strike until it's right. We can add that there is a Zillit audiobook to come out in the near future featuring Bob Odenkirk and Emo Phillips and Maria Bamford and Ron Funches and a lovely eight-year-old named Sam the, who have read Zillit in its entirety and it will come through your headphones into your ears and it's quite a delight.
0: Awesome. And also buy the book, Zillit and Other Important Rhymes by Bob Odenkirk and Aaron Odenkirk. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know it was early, and I'm I'm half awake, but it was really a, a joy to to see you both and talk to you both.
2: Thanks, Tig. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Goodbye.
1: Take care.
0: TIG is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette and Shayna Deloria. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and Sound Mixing by Alex Simpson. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Maria Wortel and Lou Barron. Our theme music is Friend and Tig by Edie Brickell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Brickell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky.